Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas what I call Seven Hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, Seven Hatters. I am so excited about this episode as it marks the first milestone on our journey together, our 25th episode. Quarter of a century, done and dusted. You know, when I first considered starting a podcast back in October of 2020, I had no idea how long it would take to launch and how much time I would dedicate to each episode. You know, looking back, I'm so glad I decided to battle and overcome my imposter syndrome. And you know, the odds were against me, especially if you study the data behind podcasting, which I did for weeks. So how many shows are there in the podcast universe? Well, over 2 million, with 48 million episodes recorded as of April 1st, 2021. So you can imagine the conversation I had with my mind as I was convincing my ego that it was a good idea to put myself out there and be real with the world, show my vulnerability, and help my tribe, the entrepreneurs out there, to know that they are not alone, that there are tools out there to help them as they go to battle every day as we build great enterprises and focus on our seven hats, striving to become what I call a holistic entrepreneur. And when I say whole, I mean W-H-O-L-E. Okay, let's get back to the scary stats. So then I learned a new word, podfade. What is podfade? Well, when someone starts a new podcast and after a handful of episodes, slowly stops. The podcast becomes stale and fades into the abyss. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? How many of us started a project, a mission, a goal, and quickly quit on ourselves after a bit of effort? I know I have. And if I would guess, you have as well. And that's a whole other subject that I will focus on in a future episode. So how many of the 2 million podcasts are still active? You know, only 25% or less produce regular shows. And seven is the magic number most quit even before that. But not us. We made it to number 25. And I can't wait to record episode 100 one day, but until such time, I'm going to enjoy the shit out of this journey. And what a journey it has been. I've interviewed 21 guests so far, and each has substantially enriched my life, as I'm sure the lives of our other seven hatters as well. So to mark this 25th episode, I thought I would share one takeaway that impacted me most from each of my guests in their own words as an homage to their greatness. So let's start with my first guest and my ProMash co-founder, Chris Ambarian. In episode four, we spoke about what else? Co-founders. And the question came up of, should you get into a co-founder relationship with a spouse or a friend? And here's what Chris said. If you're going to work with friends or spouses, gosh, for 90 plus percent of people, I would say, run away. Don't do it. 
because unless you're extraordinarily mature in how you prosecute relationship with other human beings and how you really you're super aware and you've developed the kinds of relationships where you're able to trust and you're able to gauge intelligently when to trust and when not to and even though you trust you also verify you put in place kind of agreements and legal documents and stuff like that and everybody's happy to do that you know there's not many relationships where where it's like that where you know everybody wants to go in and they're like oh yeah we have an understanding you know like no that's not how business works i, I remember uh, one of my early mentors was the chairman of the board of this large corporation that i worked for and i was involved with him in negotiating this massive deal that was a cooperation between our companies and everything was fine but then we got to the part where we were negotiating the terms of what's going to happen if this goes sideways and the terms of exit and and the terms of breaking the relationship and i was like i was really uncomfortable i was you know in my early 30s and 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 like why we're just getting together why are we talking about you know all this stuff he's like it's easy to get married what's really hard is getting divorced and you if the wise person or the wise company negotiates the terms of all that up front thinks about it so that everybody knows exactly what they're in for in good times and bad and they have an agreement and that agreement is binding and it actually enhances the relationship knowing okay these are the consequences if i get in and these are the consequences if i get out and not many people are mature enough to do that up front and when you get to know somebody and you know that they have that kind of maturity and wisdom about relationships then yeah go for it it's easy to get married isn't that the truth and i have the scars to show for it my first co-founder was a disaster and I speak about it in length in episode two. I am also in business with my wife, Ala, and I have to say, through the ups and downs, the highs and lows, we always found commonality, respect, and most importantly, trust for each other. To work it through, I know she has my back and I have hers. Moving on to episode five, my conversation with my spiritual teacher and guide, the guy who named Ala and I Yuvala. I speak with Atma, and we discuss the concept of what it takes to become a spiritual entrepreneur. My definition of a spiritual entrepreneur is an effective entrepreneur. So here's the thing. To be effective means that you're getting traction. You're making progress. You feel good about yourself. If you're not effective at something, there's a lot of misery and pain, right? It's not everything, but it's important. And so I wouldn't use the word spiritual because the word spiritual is... It's not a bad word in any way, shape, or form, but it's also a fat, heavy word overladen with meaning and unsubtleties. When I talk to business people, I talk about, look, here's what it takes to be a successful founder, an effective founder, a meaningful founder. And everything I teach is about being the best founder you can be, but it's inherently spiritual. What's the mindset of a, of a successful entrepreneur? And what I'm trying to teach them to do is to recognize 
their own mind as a, as an obstacle, as a barrier, and step aside, outside of, around, or away from their mind, and give themselves permission to flow with whatever is actually happening in a discovery state. So a big part of what we think about as yoga in the modern era, or especially what we think about as meditation, comes from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And in one of the very, the very second verse, actually, of that text is Yoga Shchitivriti Narodha, which is, in Sanskrit, says yoga is the overcoming of the habits of the mind. And then the next verse says, so that you can understand who you really are. So an entrepreneur has to overcome the habits of the mind because though that is what's going to knock them down every single time. You're not, as an entrepreneur, going to succeed because you have the right idea or the right plan. You're not. That's not how it works. Whatever idea you have may or may not be good, and whatever plan you have is definitely going to get squashed and changed and rewritten over and over and over. And if you don't want to live a life of pain and frustration, then you have to be flexible and adapt and move and pivot and grow and evolve and learn every step of the way so that you can make decisions based on what's actually going on in front of you. And that is the very definition of the discovery process, but that means you have to overcome the habits of your mind. So one of the places where I always begin working with founders is to talk about bias. What you know, you don't know, and what you don't know, you don't know. Because these are really important things. And what you don't know, you don't know, is gonna kill you in the end, because that's what's all back here in your blind spots. And that's what's gonna trip you up. But you can't recognize it because you don't know it's there. So the most powerful tool that every single human being has to overcome blind spots, and actually in some ways probably the only tool you have, is humility. There is no other tool. And I'm not talking about, oh, humility is some kind of obsequiousness. Humility is not an external state of mind. Humility is an internal willingness to grow and to learn and to admit like that you don't know stuff. It's the embracing of what I don't know, I don't know. And that's a very insecure feeling place to be. But it's also one of the places of greatest power because from a position of humility, you can actually overcome the influence, the boundaries, the barriers, and the habits of your mind. But without it, there's no hope. Humility is the intentional willingness to grow. It's the embracing of what you don't know you don't know. So powerful, but so important to realize early on in your entrepreneurial journey. Episode 6 featured Ted Ning, who is one of my early mentors. I was first introduced to Ted during Aloha's Lifestyles of Health and Sustainability conference when I launched my first baby, Luvala, the skincare brand with my wife, Ala. Back then, I would have never imagined that I would be speaking with Ted on a podcast. But as I always say, you never know what the future will hold. I asked Ted about how he overcame all the obstacles he encountered throughout his entrepreneurial roller coaster ride. And he said... It's all about personal growth. In personal growth, a lot of people may think that just happens. It doesn't just happen. You've got to work at it. Particularly if you're an entrepreneur and you're leading a team, a lot of people can be enamored by your vision and your passion and follow. But that doesn't make you a good leader. You have to listen. You have to understand your viewpoint is one viewpoint. 
It is not the viewpoint. And I've learned a long time ago not to believe everything I think. That's also good and bad. You know, sometimes I think the world is amazing. I am the man. Look at me. And then I've also realized like, oh my God, the sky is falling. It's never going to get any better. And that's just the mental monkey that's just rolling around in my head, just taking my attention and my energy. I think it's really important as leaders, as entrepreneurs, to recognize your vision is only as good as how you lead others. You may have a vision, but are you in alignment with that vision wholeheartedly? One vision might be great, but are you authentic? Are you saying that vision to everyone? Or if someone's upsetting you, what are you saying when they're not in the room to others? How much of an, is a value of integrity important? Those are things that really stick out when you become a leader and then becoming a person of influence. Um, I've been that person. I've also seen that other people try to influence others in uh, for one reason or another, but then really get to know who they are afterwards. And, and they don't line up for me. And if they don't line up, if they don't line up for me, I don't want to engage. I don't want to surround myself with people who are like that. I would rather be around people who are going to make me better, not going to pull me down. And that's really important to surround yourself with people who are who you're always striving to, to be like. Uh, borrowing benefits from them is very important. You know, uh, any, everybody has a model. Everybody has a role model. Everybody has a model company they like. What are the benefits that you can borrow from them? And then step into those. How does it feel to be like that person? What does that person do on a daily basis? How do they think? What do they wake up in the morning thinking about? If I was them in this situation where there's conflict, how would they handle it? Those kinds of things are uh, things that I challenge myself with because I'm challenged constantly with tension points. We all are. But within those tension points are the opportunities to grow and expand and make ourselves better people. Mentors are so important, and Ted is one of mine. In episode seven, I spoke with Hassani, also known as X, also known as the story guy, and we dove into what else? Storytelling. We discussed adversity, hitting rock bottom, disappointments, and the story we tell ourselves in the process that ultimately brings us down and thwarts our growth as entrepreneurs. And here's X's take on that. I think, you know, one of the hats is the soul, right? I think we have so many of these layers on top of who we truly are that we can forget what we're made of. And I think adversity is the only signifier of truth. Everything else we can comfortably talk at, dance around, pretend. But when it's dark all around us and the only thing we can depend upon is the absolute truth, we find ourselves. And it's only through adversity that we're able to to find that idea and bridge toward greatness. But I think the challenge is not everyone sees their bridge to greatness. They stay stuck in the story of how they've lost or how things are bad. And I tell people all the time, trauma is just your drama rehearsed over and over and over and over and over again. Basically, you're telling yourself a story. Real quick, I can share a story for as much, as long as I can remember, I've always turned adversity into an empowering story. So when I was five and I saw the Incredible Hulk for the first time, Lou Ferrigno scared the crap out of me. I had nightmares of the Incredible Hulk pulling me into a toilet. I didn't want to go to sleep the next night. I told mom, I was like, look, I don't want to go. No, 
old school mom, you are going to bed right now, 8 p.m., get your butt in the bed. So I'm in the bed and I'm like, Credible Hulk's gonna get me. Like I just knew it, it was a fact. Nobody could tell me different. And I feel something behind me. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm about to die. And, and you know, the, the kid mind is like, all right, come up with something, okay, get under the covers. And I told myself, if, if, you, if he can't see me, he can't get me. If he can't see me, he can't get me. And I thought, just don't move. So from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. the next morning, I did not move a muscle. I didn't move. I repeated that mantra at least 10,000 times. If you can't see me, can't get me. My mom walks in 8 a.m. like, you're usually up eating your cereal. You're like, what are you doing? I was like, first thing, I, I looked at my mom and I said to myself, where were you? You weren't there for me. Potential trauma, right? If I rehearsed that drama. But immediately the next thought was, he didn't kill me. I survived. <laughs> I survived. And I turned around and it was my pillow. I jumped off the bed, went and got my kicks, slapped, sit down in front of the floor model TV and turned on the Incredible Hulk. That could have been a traumatic situation, but I just seem to fight for the story that empowers me and allows me to deal with adversity in different ways than most. So I tell people like, whatever is impacting you in a negative way, I promise you that you've been rehearsing that story and you haven't found an empowering meaning and therefore you're trapped by it. And you are creating, in many cases, not always, your own prison of trauma. Trauma is just your drama rehearsed over and over and over and over again. Wow. As Oprah says, tweetable moment. Episode 8 featured one of my favorite CPG entrepreneurs, Alex Baer. His genius, Coconut Smoothie Juice Company, is purely genius and delicious. And he's my first Shark Tank entrepreneur. Here's what he had to say about the mindset and belief and persistence of running a business. I mean, the first mindset is, uh, for me, is just never giving up. And that failure is really not an option. Just persistence. I mean, a lot of people know me for persistence. We've come back from the dead a few times with this company. You know the stories, you know, being out of stock, out of money, no product on the shelf, going down to zero stores, you know, from 500 down to zero, back to 4,000. And from no money to being in debt to coming back and having enough money in the bank to really grow the company and hire people, get back to the economy and get people on board as part of our dream, right, to build this company. So persistence, I think that mentality of like, no, this, I believe in myself, I believe in the company, I believe in the product, this is going to succeed. And having that mentality when entering into every conversation, every buyer meeting, every investor meeting, every podcast like this, every interaction, you know, what I've learned is that you can't fake it. You know, is fake it till you make it to me is like bullshit. Like can't fucking fake it. Like either you either you love or you don't love it, you know, and you gotta be all in on it. So it, it, as long as it's coming from the heart, people feel that, you feel it in the conversation. You feel it right now when I'm talking, right? And are people listening, they feel that passion and it, it, you can't have it any other way. That's the mentality to be successful. And if you see any entrepreneur like the Elon Musk's of the world or the Richard Branson that just went to space and back, you feel it when he talks, you feel it in his body language, in his face, that like this was a dream of his and he finally fulfilled it. And for me, this is like a dream come true, growing a company and having a great product. Alex is so passionate, don't you agree? 
And because he never gave up, he now runs an extremely successful brand in retail, which is such a challenge for so many entrepreneurs. My next guest was Casey Sobleton, a health and wellness coach and entrepreneur. In episode nine, we discussed the mind, body, and spirit behind a holistic entrepreneur. What I've realized is through the years that unless we really define success, what that means to us, and that has to be a mind, body, spirit, at least for me, and most people I've seen that have been able to do it healthily, that's how. Success is like this moving goalpost. And as soon as you get where you think you want it and you think would make you happy, it moves. And then it moves and then it moves and then you're constantly chasing this elusive success. And what does that mean? And I'll give anything and I'll, I'll give my health and I'll give my family and I'll give my relationships. And I, I, I did that. And I luckily, I mean, God, you know, thank God I had a really major health scare, which kind of halted me in my tracks. And Rather than deciding to, you know, I had Crohn's disease, I found that out through um, a ruptured appendix and they removed a large tumor in my intestines, um, about half of my colon, about six feet of my intestines. I came out of the surgery and was given all these pills to take. Oh, and if you take all these, you'll be back to work within six weeks. And I'm like, back to work? (laughs) What? No, I have to fix this thing. And everyone was so busy telling me, there is no fixing this thing. It's a chronic disease. There's no cure. You're going to be like this for the rest of your life. And I was thinking, I don't believe that. I don't know what it was, but I just knew they were wrong and I wasn't going to accept that. And so it was in that moment I really took stock. You know, what what am I missing? And I started down this huge journey that changed my life, changed my career, changed everything about me, including truly my soul. Came out a different person and what success was to me. You know, I, I really, I was in manufacturing and automotive. I expected to be in there the rest of my life. And um, it took a, a different turn. So I'm thankful for that because it definitely woke me up. When I'm in balance, I attract the right things in life. When I'm in balance, I have inspired action. When I'm in balance, ideas come to me easily. When I'm in balance, people want to do more for me to help me. When I'm in balance, I give more love and probably I'm given more love. You know, I mean, it just goes on and on like that. Um, So what I found was prior to realizing all this, I worked really, really hard. I mean, I worked really hard to get not too far. And when I started getting connected, I had to work way less. And the more showed up at my doorstep, you know, more success, more opportunities, more people, more love, more support. But it took all those experiences for me to figure out what would work for me and then find it and stick with it. But it was it was life changing. Isn't it amazing how the universe will bring forth major life events that shift your life's direction? We need to be really good at listening to the whispers so that we don't get hit with the boulders that inevitably come our way if we stop paying attention. In episode 10, we put on hat number five, the investor's hat, and we spoke with Matt Franklin, my second Shark Tank alumni. Matt tells a heartbreaking story of his self-employed mom who had hope, who was driven, but who didn't take the steps necessary to plan for the future and then became destitute because she totally screwed herself by her deeds and lack of action. My mom was self-employed for years and watching her has been, and watching the mistakes that she made, it, it has changed the course of my life because she screwed herself over so bad by doing a lot of the stuff that I was doing. Like she was a self-employed massage therapist down in Palo Alto. She rented her whole whole life. If she would have 
worked more to, to buy a house back in the 80s when she moved down there, she could have retired a millionaire. I mean, that's one area because if, if you, you know, Palo Alto, I mean, just that whole area, houses are, are insane. So she didn't buy a house. Um, she took tons of trips. She's got albums full of pictures from New Zealand and Israel and all over the place. So she was throwing her money away and also she was not taking care of her health. So, which led to this perfect storm of having to be in an assisted living facility. And I had to move her up here to Portland and I had to help pay for her existence. Tens of thousands of dollars I spent helping, you know, kind of keep her afloat. And then she she reached a point where she was on Medicaid. And, and I don't know if you know this, but in order to be on Medicaid, you have to bleed down your overall net worth to less than $2,000. So she was, for the last seven years of her life, she was totally destitute. Her social security paid for her nursing home and left her like $40 a month. And so again, anytime she needed anything, I had to pay for it. And it's, it's brutal to see someone who was self-employed, who had promise, who was driven, but who didn't take the steps necessary for those, you know, what, whether it's 20, 30, or 40 years of your career to plan for the future and then have yourself be totally screwed by your deeds or your lack of action. And it was heartbreaking to watch. And it was also heartbreaking to, to know that she understood that she had screwed herself and she had to live with that pain and regret every day. We entrepreneurs, we kind of, we see a, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's our natural inclination to think, okay, our business is going to end up financing our old age. And unfortunately, that in general is not true. I remember when I had to get a job driving a limo for $10 an hour, once my business couldn't support us any longer. It was a sobering reminder that if you put everything into your business, which we did, our 401ks, savings, and family investments, only to lose it all when the business didn't provide that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. In episode 11, we brought back Chris, my ProMesh co-founder, to discuss a hot topic for entrepreneurs, and that's culture. I asked Chris why he thinks we have such a successful culture in our company, and this is what he said. Are we so successful? Because we thought about it in advance. And we have some experience. You know, we've both worked in a team and we've led teams before and we've seen, you know, the pluses and minuses, the pitfalls. And so I think, you know, our conversations early on were very, very valuable and that's why. Short answer. But what are the details of that? As new members come in and, and we, we haven't been perfect, obviously. Some members we've liberated back to the job market, shall we say. <laughs> and you have to like, you have to look at that. Here's, here's the thing. You want a certain culture in, in your company. You don't want to limit too much because we also understand the value of diversity. And diversity is great with limits because complete diversity, total representation of all different viewpoints results in gridlock and it results in chaos and no direction and you will fail. You know, and it sounds great on paper, but the reality is no, that doesn't work. There's only one captain of the boat, so to speak, and that captain says the direction that we're going. If you pull everybody on the ship and ask them what they want to do, it's going to be chaos. And, and for sure, a company is like a ship more than it's not like a ship. So there's that. When you're hiring someone, you have to like hang it out there. This is who we are, guys. This is our culture. This is how it's going to be. There's going to be ping pong tables in the lounge. And you can you can do whatever you want at all times. You know, that's, that's what some people want. You hang that out there and it's going to attract that. 
When we were advertising for all of our positions, ping pong tables were nowhere to be found. It was more about the quality of like, this is how we treat people. This is the kind of work that we do. This is what we're up to. This is the way we communicate. These are you know, kind of the rules that we think support the development of people, the uh, camaraderie, the efficiency, the, the things that we wanted to get done. So when you hang that out there, immediately you're gonna start self-filtering the market. You attract, it's law of attraction. You attract the ones that, ooh, I like that. And the other ones that don't like that, they're like, oh, efficiency, hell with that. you know. And they're gonna walk away and you're never gonna hear from them. Hopefully there's a lot of that up front, but then you wanna bring in people that, that do represent a diverse, some somewhat diverse set of viewpoints or perspectives. I think diversity is really great in skills and experiences because then they can cover your blind spots. But you just kind of have to get some experience about how much is too much. And uh, certainly we've, we've, you know, we've like gone against some better judgment or sometimes we just like didn't know. We hire somebody who was a little too diverse. It just ends up being disruptive. No disrespect to them, but it's just not compatible. They come in, they're not happy, you're not happy, and greater productivity or quality or something doesn't result. And so that's just a lose, lose, lose proposition for, for everyone involved. You know, correct those things when they happen with it in mind that, you know, you want to have a culture that chooses a clear direction, but it's expansive enough to allow for some diversity, but also knows when enough is enough. For me, culture is number one. And having a co-founder that is on the same page as you helps a great deal. Because as you might imagine, your team will do as you do and not as you say. In episode 12, we switch subjects and speak to creativity with Nir Bashar. Creativity is the lifeblood of a successful entrepreneur, but also affects all your hats. Listen to Nir talk about what the most successful people in the world do to hone in on their creative forces. So I work with some of the smartest people on earth, which is kind of a, a, a blessing. And I, I really... I started to put together a, a list of what makes them really successful. I've noticed that some of these people that we all admire are incredibly deeply creative in their problem solving. They look at a problem with the language of positivity instead of looking at a problem like I do, or well, I do most of the time, even though I know better, uh, by going, shit, this sucks. When you start to look at a problem in your business as an opportunity instead of a real problem or a negative problem, then the amount of creativity that is generated by your natural brain is enhanced. When we look at it like, oh man, this sucks, zero creativity, zero ability to solve problems. When we look at it inspiringly or, hey, you know, why is this happening? This might be happening for a reason. Let's go with it a little bit. Then you unlock creative opportunities. The most successful people in business look at problems through the lens of positivity. Great, this has happened, now how do we get to the next stage? Instead of what you know, most people do, which is they look at it and they look for someone to blame, or you know, our processes didn't work this time, or you know, always an internal, sometimes an external culprit. We gotta find who did it and punish them. But when we use the language of positivity, when we look at any problem in our business as an opportunity, we enable growth, we enable creative growth. The English language has more ways to describe negativity than it does positivity, more ways. 
For every positive word, there's 10 to 15 more negative words. I researched it, I looked at it all over the world, and it turns out that English is not the only language, it's every language on earth. Every language on earth has more ways to describe negative things than positive things. For every good, helpful, fantastic, wonderful, there are 10 to 15 negative words that describe the same situation. So I ask you, Yuval, and I ask your listeners, when something comes up, what are you going to do? Are you going to choose one of those 15, 20 words, then go down a negative path? Or are you going to choose the rarer, you know, the more uh, rare words that are positive and say to yourself, you know what, this situation is perhaps not great, but what am I going to, how am I going to describe it and what am I going to look at it as to allow for creativity to take hold? So what are you going to do? Are you going to choose the negative path or the more rare positive path? For me, I'll take positivity all day long. Episode 13 is dear to my heart because it's a hot topic we all struggle with, expectations. I ask Ben Winter, where do expectations come from and what can we do to best tame them? Expectations, they come from our past. They come from how we're raised. They come from the society we grew up in. They come from the TV we watched. Expectations are kind of that framework that we have of how life works. The simplest would be, I expect to walk because I grew up learning how to walk and I walk everywhere. And so I expect to be able to walk everywhere. So when we, you know, hurt our leg or we break our leg and it's weird walking around, we kind of get a little upset because it's like, this is not how it, like, I'm supposed to be able to walk. That's a very simple version. But then it goes much deeper into, I saw my parents in their relationship as I grew up. So that is my view of how relationships work when marriage is in the view. I didn't see them as boyfriend, girlfriend. I saw them as married couple. So to me, that's how married couples work. But then you start growing up and you see married couples on TV and they work differently than your parents. You're like, well, I kind of like that more than I like this. So then you expect more and more relationships to be, I'm going to say easy. Because you watch movies and like people are getting married after knowing each other for about two days, right? When you really start diving into movies and TV, the time frame is so ridiculous. I mean, your perception on how things are supposed to work just gets skewed. So then when you go into life and, you know, you meet somebody and you're not instantly falling in love and getting married a week later, you're like, well, what's wrong with this relationship? Why aren't things working like they do on TV? Why aren't we madly in love like my parents were? You know, we we start to question those things around us. You know, if you grow up in a a wealthy household and then you go out on your own and you realize you have to make your own money, you're like, but it shouldn't be this hard because it was never this hard. But then also there's people who are like, they don't get why people can't make money because they're so used to it. And then there's other people who have never made money and they're like, I don't want to live like that, so I'm going to do something different. So anyway, the way we grow up, the way we see the world, those are our expectations of life. So our perception of life really sets those expectations as we get older. We don't recognize them necessarily until they start going unmet. And it's impossible not to have expectations. So anybody who's saying like, I just choose not to have expectations. Well, guess what? That's an expectation in and of itself. Don't fool yourself. You have expectations. No matter how dark it gets, there's always going to be light at the other end. Um, At least in my journey, that's what I've found. Anytime I've ever been sad or hurt or depressed, there's always something better around the corner. Every time I've lost a relationship, there was a better relationship. Every time I ended a a friend left, I got a different and better friend. Every time 
you know, my car was in an accident. I'd end up with a better car afterwards. Like, it was... Sometimes things have to suck before they get better. There's so many books and stories and things that prove that again and again and again. At some point, as a human, we just have to say, yeah, that's that seems to be the case. I just need to hold in there just a little bit longer. Anytime you find yourself upset, remember that you have a choice. That is the biggest piece of advice that I can possibly give anybody. You know, so much in society, they're like, chill out, don't be upset, whatever. Be upset, just use it as an opportunity to learn. I don't want to make it any more difficult than that. If you can remind yourself that being upset is a trigger point for growth and opportunity, then you're one step ahead of the majority of the world. I just love Ben's examples. You know, Byron Katie, one of my all-time favorite mentors, has a great quote. Quote, A thought is harmless unless we believe it. It's not our thoughts, but our attachments to our thoughts that causes suffering. Attaching to a thought means believing that it's true without inquiring. And a belief is a thought that we've been attached to often for years. End quote. Isn't that the truth? You know, if you've never heard of Byron Katie, I urge you to pick up her book, Loving What Is, The Four Questions That Can Change Your Life. Okay, episode 14 with Scott Ballard really impacted me for so many reasons. Scott speaks of how the lies that we are told as kids hold us hostage, and sabotage our lives as we become adults. His story is inspirational, and it comes from the heart. So let's find out a bit more about Scott's superpowers of encouraging others to believe in themselves and live their best life. My teacher took my desk and put it in the back corner, faced it towards the corner and said, you're stupid, you're a dunce, and you'll never be anything. And so I'm seven years old. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is a really bad start to life. And it just sent me in a spiral because I believed her. I believed the lie of her labeling me as stupid and dumb and never going to be anything, never going to do anything with my life. That was a bad choice on my part. And it started just spiraling down towards suicidal thoughts, towards running away from school, running away from home, all kinds of health problems and just put me in a tailspin. I had to go back. She came at the end of the year to my parents' house and to my greatest dread, my worst nightmare, she said, he needs to do first grade over again. So immediately what comes to my mind is the shame of my buddies that I grew up with in the neighborhood. Like they're going to second grade and I'm going to do first grade again. Well, first grade the second time was worse than the first time. And I did worse because they didn't know what the problem was. Because back in the 60s, Dyslexia was not really a known thing. And so I trudged that second year, became very suicidal, and just really struggled with my identity and why am I here and what's my value. It was the worst season of my life. I mean, at seven or eight to be thinking about, you know, ending your life. And I grew up in a rural area where there was hunting and fishing. And so we had guns and the things were around. And I really contemplated that. I, I had two parents. And, I, and a grandmother, she was 4'11", little Irish gal. And she would say to me, she would grab me by the scruff and she'd say, Scotty, there's a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Like there's something, there's something, there's a reason you're here. And it ringed in my ears and I was like, oh, maybe grandma's just being grandma. Because everybody else in authority is telling me I'm garbage, basically. What I learned in that season was to see in the other kids and even my teachers to see their genius, to see where they were brilliant, 
but I could not see any value in myself. So out of this darkness came this superpower, the strength of meeting somebody and be able to shine a light that they can't see in themselves and then show them, this is the genius that I see. This is the greatness in you that the world needs. And I can see it and you can't. And and remember, this is who you are. Don't believe the lie that you don't have value and you don't have something amazing that you're going to bring to the world. I didn't receive any encouragement by family, but I knew the value of encouragement could make such a difference that I wanted to, to give it as a gift to everybody. There is something in this pain that is going to be a blessing. There's going to be something out of this. I don't know what it is, but there's going to be, there's something for you. All progress, all great progress begins with me being honest, like, okay, this is where I've got to do some work, or this is where I've got to change my life, my habits, my relationships, my business, whatever it may be. That's where it all begins. I think those three things are really where we start to work. And and it also uncovers the lies, which are stacked up here. And this little guy sitting on your shoulder going, you're a loser. What do you think you're going to be a CEO? What do you think all those things? And we have to silence that voice and then replace it with the truth. Being able to recognize whether you're listening to the truth or listening to the lie is the most important skill you can have because that programming, that input then goes out and becomes your life. So the, the first thing you have to do is you have to identify what the falses are, what, what the lies are, what's the false that I'm believing. And then what I have people do is I say, what's the opposite of that, mm-hmm. right? So what's the opposite of that? And that's the truth. So the opposite of what my first grade teacher said of me is actually that I'm going to change the world by my superpower of believing in people, listening, encouraging them, helping them exchange a lie. That's the truth. So the internal voices change from, I think I can, which is a lie, to, oh no, I've got this. I was made for this. I was made for this. I was made for this. Okay, if that didn't touch your soul, I don't know what will. We all need to believe in ourselves, and that's why hat number one is the golden hat. I call it the soul. And it's all about self-love and self-care. So, my dear Seven Hatters, we now heard from 11 incredible people who have impacted my life greatly. And this concludes part one of my two-part series. Tune in next week for insight from the other 10 incredible individuals that make up the first 25 episodes of The Seven Hats. And you don't want to miss a single minute. So until then... If you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you received from it so we can attract even more high-quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you.